Welcome back to the podcast. This episode is a doozy. Today's guest met and married a man that explained his unusual absences and disappearance at times physical injuries on his job as an IT expert with the CIA. And he had proof. However, in 2006, her world would be shattered when she discovered that her husband, Will, was a bigamist, con man, and convicted sex offender. Her story is how one man manipulated an intelligent and independent woman, conning her out of £200,000 and leaving her to bring up the children he claimed he could never have due to infertility. She thought her story would end there, but the revelation that Will, in fact, had several families, numerous children and discovered that he continued to prey on new victims after he was released from prison. On a mission to protect more women, she learned about the psychopath behind her husband's duplicitous behavior. She has written a memoir, The Bigamist, and a new book, The Psychopath. Both can be purchased on Amazon. Episode 36, Mary Turner Thompson. Welcome to One Moment, Please the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. I really won't because I love the jar. Um, yeah, it's... it's it, you laughing it, at my jar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love drinking out of mason jars. I found the wide mar- uh, wide mouth ones, uh-huh. and um, gee, they're good. Make my coffee in them in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not this big though. This is a little one. This is for my water. Have you seen my copper? Look. Yeah, I've got. Look, I've got one too. <laughs> you have to. You see, you have to have a big mug. It's like you have yeah. to have a bucket because it's like you know, especially if you're doing interviewing, because you can't get up and go and get another one. <laughs> You know, and then you're so. going to wee if you have too much of it. You're going to be careful. <laughs> Do you know the amount of times? Do you know the amount of times I leave an interview and just dash to the loo? It's like, <laughs> if you need to go in the middle of this, it's fine. We can always. Oh, you'll be fine. I went, I, went, I went just before we started, my love. <laughs> Something it's else like I'm getting mom. quite used to doing. Do, Do you need to go for a Do wee before wee? you hop in the car? <laughs> oh, Lordy. So. Okay. Well, welcome to the podcast, Mary. <laughs> Hello. It's very nice to be here. I'm so going to keep in the bit about the cuppa at the start, though. <laughs> That's I might cut out the wee comments. <laughs> oh, Gosh, the things, that, the things that are out there on the internet about me, honestly. <laughs> I did a podcast a little while ago, it was, and it will the um, lady that I was interviewing had breast cancer and so we were talking about boobs and I was thinking I actually said I think this is the first time I've ever talked about my boobs on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) maybe we should start talking about your big toe and then you can include that as as a first (laughs) (laughs) not so interesting tell now you wrote a book the bigamist which is based on your life which I find absolutely incredible because you married a con man, essentially, in your words. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, very much. I think con man is a quite nice way of putting it, actually. Oh, really? You know, it's like the, the word, the term con man actually has a little bit of a glamorous kind of connotation, doesn't it? I think you kind of think of someone in Las Vegas doing a, you know, sw- swindling a little bit, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it's like so. Yeah, he, he was a con man, though. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's it's, it's absolutely true. Um, no, I think I think the easiest way to describe it is he's not only a bigamist; he was also a con man and a psychopath and a convicted paedophile who actively impregnates women to rip them off for money. Right, that's a lot <laughs> to fall in love with. <laughs> Clearly, I didn't know that when I met him, though. I'd be a little worried like, if you did. Can you did. imagine that chat-up line? You know, sort of like, hey, you know, I'm Here's a con man record. who's a psychopath and a pedophile. I, 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 like, I impregnate women to rip them off some money. Do you fancy a date? Oh, goodness. That'd be a hard pass as you run out the door. It'd be like one of those cartoons with the, you know smoke behind you from the from oh, the floor i think you know it might actually be the case where you, you meet someone that says that you might think they're joking and just laugh anyway you know <laughs> it oh, just you, yeah it's uh quite extraordinary so you met online though didn't you is that how yes. you met i i'm the cautionary tale um it was that we actually met in 2000 so year 2000 i always i always think it's weird when you say the year 2000 uh, you can say 2016 it's fine but if you say 2000 you have to have the year 2000 um anyway yeah so it was the millennium and the the you're you're too young to know probably but you know no. the year 2000 it was <laughs> brand new the internet was brand new mobile phones were brand new you know it's only like 20 years ago but it's actually the technology has changed quite dramatically in those 20 years so um i found myself a, a single mother with a one year old child and uh, my friends said well, look, there's this newfangled thing called internet dating. Why don't you try it? Their famous last words, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so there were a few people who had met people online and, you know, sort of like it was, but it was very, very new, very new indeed. So I thought, well, I'll give it a try. Um, and I met three guys. Um, one turned out to be a bit like a brother. Very nice, but no chemical spark there. Okay. Uh, one, one turned out to be a bit like a mad axe murderer, actually. He was very creepy. Um, oh. very, very, <laughs> very, it's murder. weird that you discounted the potential axe murderer and ended up with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fill in the, the irony. The irony. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. What the, made the, him the... so creepy? Did his spidery oh. senses went up? I because. Th- you know, as oh, women, well, we what have made that, him so we? creepy? Well, actually, I'll tell you what made him so creepy. We were, we went to the comedy club, uh, and we were sitting there. And we were having a chat, and um, he said uh, he he was really nasty about his ex wife, and he was just saying, you know, oh yes, you know, she was she, she was she didn't say anything. He didn't say anything that actually gave him a reason to be. It wasn't like she'd had an affair with someone else or something. He was just going, oh, she was she was a cow and something. Like that. And I said, you know, I tried to change the subject, and I said, have you got any children? And he said, yeah, I've got a daughter, but she looks like her mother, unfortunately. <gasps> and I just kind of went, no. You're not getting a second date, Buster. <laughs> but that's a big step away from axe murderer. <laughs> no, no, I'm, used to, I'm, 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 being, I'm being flippant. Oh, but, you okay. Know, I, See, I, I went I, literally, I just like, you thought yeah, yeah, that he no, was a no, man. No, okay. no. <laughs> I've been doing this podcast for my a story. while, Mary. You know. No, no, it's like the trouble with my story. I shouldn't say things like that because they <laughs> – well, not only that, uh, the guests that I've had on, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if you married an axe murderer. You know? Oh, gosh. Yes. No, no. He was just creepy. He was just creepy, that guy. Um, and then uh, the, and then I dated a guy for about three months who turned out to be a bit of a social parasite. So hmm. he started um, he started doing this weird thing of actually contacting my friends behind my back. 
and you know they would they would see him and say oh you know you and mary should come to this party so he'd go to the party and say i couldn't make it but not tell me about it and i just thought "Mm, yeah no thanks (laughs) and i don't know what he was on i think he just you know he wanted a new social circle or something see i would think that he's more the axe murderer you know So like, that's was, just so weird. So my my, I, I think I should do another book, which is my disastrous dating stories. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think yeah. you did when you uh, from the bigger <laughs> well, yeah, effectively. <laughs> but um, so yeah, that that sort of didn't work. And so I actually just went, no, I'm not. I'm, this this online dating thing's not for me. It's obviously it's obviously a dud. Um, and I stopped stopped worrying about it. And about months later, I'd actually taken down my profile. But in those days, I don't know if they still do it now, but in those days, they actually, they would say your profile was closed, but they would keep you up to keep the numbers up. Uh, and uh, so about a month later, I got a, an email from this guy who said his name was William Allen Jordan. He was single. He was mixed race. He was American. Apologize for it. Um, and that he, you know, he'd spent his life chasing his career around the globe um, so he never settled down and had kids. Couldn't have kids anyway because he had mumps as a child. So if furthering my family was on the cards, I wasn't the girl for him. Or he wasn't the guy for me. Um, you know, very chatty email. And uh, yeah, just sort of I replied and we started talking. And um, after a couple of weeks, we met up. And um, yeah, he was just, he was tall, he was dark. He was okay looking. <laughs> wouldn't say he was handsome but you know he was he was all right he was he was he seemed very accomplished uh, very humble and yeah just a just a nice guy came across like so what stage so how long did you date before date for before you got married two years so no no red flags in that time that they may oh yes (laughs) many 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 red flags Well, I mean, so the thing is that I recognize them now. I mean, that's what I put in my book, you know, is yeah. like what all the red flags are. But the thing is, I'm, I was a, um, I was naive. I didn't know people like him really existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that psychopaths existed. I knew that there were serial killers and people that were psychotic. But I thought there was more chance of meeting, I thought there was more chance of winning the lottery than there yeah. would be of actually meeting a psychopath. You know, I thought they were exceedingly rare. Um well, I would Boy, agree with I that wrong? statement. I would, I would completely agree with that statement. Okay, so uh, actually, I mean, this is this is with my research for the second book, the psychopathy, psycho psychopath, uh, and my research into psychopathy. Actually, it's one percent society. So I know that they have, there's a lot in corporate world and stuff like that. Are they the yes. sociopaths in corporate world or something? But <clears throat> a true psychopath. Okay, well, maybe we should. So, what's well, the, psych- di- what's the difference? Sociopath- well, psychopath and sociopath are the same thing for a start. Um, oh. But uh, effectively, a psychopath is born with a um, a chemical uh, lack of chemical empathic response in their brain. So okay. they just don't have that switch that gives them empathy for other people. Right. A sociopath is born with it, but from usually something like childhood sexual abuse or, or abandonment or neglect, etc., from the ages of zero to five, um, their chemical empathic response is dulled. So, right. but by the time they're 18, they're essentially the same thing. Right. The, the difference is that a psychopath is born and a sociopath is made. And I think so, it's important to put an insert into this stage that neither of us are psychologists or psychiatrists. And exactly. this is from your research. It's not from any medical degree. No, that's correct. So it, it, it in some ways leaves me free as a layman 
to discuss it um, because I'm not doing it as a medical diagnosis. Okay. I think it's important to put that in there when we're talking about this kind of stuff. Yes. Well, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's all the stuff. I mean, one thing is I am, I'm so fascinated by the subject that that I've actually been getting quite good at reading the the academic reports Um, and, you know, new studies come out about psychopathy and it's been changing over the last 20 years, actually, you know, the, the, the definitions, but psychopathy, sorry, psychopath, sociopath, narcissist, they're all layman's terms. They all actually come under the DSM of, uh, as antisocial personality disorder. So it's not, you know, that they're actually not medical terms, psychopath, sociopath, and, and, uh, narcissist. Hmm. So what were the red flags that you've learned now through your research and you've written in your book that you missed at the start of the dating? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing was that he proposed to me within three weeks of meeting. Right. So, uh, but he would, when he proposed to me, I was actually in the process of dumping him. Uh, And I was dumping him because he'd stood me up the night before. Do you think Um, that he proposed because he got the sense that you were going to dump him? Oh, I think he he knew I was going to dump him because he he was he we'd planned to go to London. I'd packed my bags and everything, and he'd said he was on his way, on his way, on his way, and then he just vanished. And uh, so I drank a bottle of wine and went to bed. And you know, sort of next day, I was I was preparing to just send him a text, and he pitched up on my doorstep and said he was really upset that he hadn't gone on the trip because he wanted to give me this and handed me a teddy bear with a diamond ring on a ribbon around its collar and seeing as it was seven o'clock in the morning you know he'd obviously bought it previously um but yeah it was it was just that he, he would stand me up but then he would always say you know it was because of his work because something had happened you know etc cetera, etc cetera, um that he he at the time he told me he was working in it and so that if he was in a basement working on servers and stuff like that he wouldn't have any signal and stuff like that didn't so, he at one point tell you that he worked for the cia as well yeah, about uh, three or four months into the relationship, um, he sat me down and said, "You know, listen, don't, don't, <laughs> don't uh, ask any questions till the end. Just hear me out. Um, you know, sort of like, and you don't have to believe me because, you know, all the evidence will be forthcoming." Um, but I was recruited out of college into the ODCI, the Official Department of Central Intelligence, more commonly known as CIA. He's American, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. I mentioned that. Um, and uh, yeah, so and he explained, you know, that he wasn't a spy. Uh, he was an IT guy. So if you imagine that the the spy films we've seen, the guys in the van, you know, sort of like he was one of those. He was nerd. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a James Bond type. He was he was the the nerdy IT guy. Yeah. Um, and actually, when if you met him, you wouldn't think of anybody more suited for the job than him. Oh. Uh, he, he just came across like that. So it wasn't nearly as glamorous as it sounds. He didn't sit down and say, hey, baby, I'm a spy. You know, um, it was very much, you know, I just have this job and it just happens to be for this organization. Um, and uh, <clears throat> So and he, he made it sound say, plausible. Yeah, yeah. And he, he also did say that you don't have to believe it, it'll be proved in time. And the evidence just kept coming. Uh, not only was he paid by MOD packets, money packets, which were um, stamped with the MOD, there was Ministry of Defence. So he was he worked for the CIA, but he was on secondment to to um, Britain. So he was uh, he was working in the UK as a specialist in a certain subject. And you know, <clears throat> you look back at it now and shake your head. But at the time, you know, it wasn't it wasn't all in a wonder. It was drip fed this information. How was he? Uh, <clears throat> how was he getting um, that stamp? The MOD stamp. 
I don't know. He also carried a gun, which is highly illegal in the UK. Yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> he had a, a, a gun holster and he used to lock the gun away uh, when he came into the house. And I felt it through his jacket, but I never actually saw the gun itself. I mean, I had a kid, you know, I wasn't wanting a gun being flashed around the house. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that made me really, really nervous. It could have been a water pistol for all I know. Um, it probably but- <laughs> was. Probably filled with cordial or something when he got thirsty. <laughs> It was quite heavy. It was quite heavy. The one I felt through his jacket was quite heavy. So whatever it was, it was either a very good replica or it was a so I don't think it was a water bottle. But I mean, there, there were people that would phone me uh, after I was kind of included in this this lie. There were people that would phone me and say, um, you know, he's been called away. So he stopped standing me up. You know, I would be I, I would get stood up, but I would get a phone call from some woman or some man saying, that he'd been called away and he'd be in touch when he could, you know, things like that. So he, how was he recruiting these people into this fantasy world of his? Well, yeah, I mean, there were, there were quite a few of them as well because it wasn't just one-offs. Uh, there, were, there was one time that I was sitting in the theatre and uh, waiting for him to pitch up and he told, told me he was on his way. And uh, this guy came up to me and said, just to let you know that Will Jordan's been called away. Um, and, I mean, in person and then left. And uh, I, and I was sort of got oh great okay and that, I mean that made me feel really uncomfortable, um, but it, I mean it's, uh, the thing is it's like when he set up the scenario you see it the way he's done it. The truth is that that probably was the theatre manager. Yeah, <clears throat> he's probably he sitting at the back of the theatre going, "It's that person in the." No, you could just called in and said, "My wife's waiting for me. Could you just go down to seat number X and and tell her that I can't make it?" Oh yeah, that's you know, a little it's bit like, more logical it, it, because, than my. I was yeah. thinking that he's hiding in the shadows, you know, at the back. No, 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 no. He was—he was just probably, probably never intended to come. He was just like setting it up as a, as a, a scenario. The, the people that used to phone me, you know, he could have—I don't know who they were. There's a short answer, but what he could be doing is standing in the street saying, "Listen, it's my wife's birthday tomorrow, and I've forgotten to get her a present. You know, could you just phone her um, and say, you know, that that he's been called away and he'll be home as soon as he can? Um, you know, he could have been getting strangers to do it." Right. So were they calling the, through the other, or not the other his aspect mobile? To that, <clears throat> I was going to say the other aspect to that is he is also a convicted sex offender. So when we, in Britain, we do this lovely thing, really clever thing of separating our sex offenders from our general prison population because otherwise they get beaten up. So they all go to a sex offender prison. And when they're in sex offender prison, they all share contacts to help set up their victims. So could have been sex offenders that are, are just helping each other out. You're fair. You can't see this on the podcast, but the, the jaw just hit the floor. Sometimes I forget to make an audible expression as well as a facial expressions when I'm doing the podcast. Oh, that's terrifying. It's scary, that's isn't it? T- yeah. I was followed occasionally, you know, sort of like there was a time that I was being followed by someone. Now, it could have just been some random person who wanted to mug me. Who knows? Or it could be somebody that he'd set up to follow me. Um, but, you know, he'd, he'd given me, you know, training as such as to how to deal with things like that. Um, so it's like there was at one point I was in a shop and I I, know, I spotted this guy following me. Uh, and uh, so I'd, I'd crossed the road and gone into another shop and, and he'd done that. And I crossed back again and I kind of doubled back on myself and I noticed this guy still still behind me so I kind of ducked behind a wall took my jacket off and I had long hair at the time and pulled my hairband out so that my hair well, was well you were in full movie spycraft um, mode oh yeah 
oh yeah but I sort of like and then sort of instead of instead of carrying on I then double backed and, and walked straight past him um and he he sort of do, did a double take and realized who I was and then and then just did a runner this guy um and as I say I don't know it could have just been an ordinary guy who was looking to you know steal my handbag if that makes sense he probably but, said to this guy oh, I reckon <clears throat> that chick that that lady up there's you know a spy she's trained see if you can <laughs> he probably stitched the other guy up <laughs> Very possibly, and it's the thing. This is your spy training. If you can, if you (laughs) you honestly, yeah, you honestly do not know. And it's like you, you, we see things from our own perspective. So once somebody has set the groundwork and you know said this is this is what's going to be happening, then when it happens, you go, oh my gosh, that's evidence that it is that it's true that what he's saying is true. Whereas actual fact, you know, as I say, he he could be anything, but you're seeing it in that context because that's the that's the the parameters he's put on it. At what stage did you start realizing that this was all false? Like that he this was all fabricated? Because he sounds like having spoken to you, you're not a stupid person. You know, like mm-hmm. it's not like you're and we actually had <laughs> this conversation the other day. <laughs> yes, I'm not I'm not particularly naive and ditzy, yeah. No. Um, and you have proof of that because uh, Mary's in Mensa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did a, uh, I had a, I, it's not something I tend to, to, to brag about too much. Oh, just um, brag about it, it Mary, come it on. Wasn't, it wasn't intentional. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, that's what's so funny is I actually, uh, okay, I'll tell the story. Uh, basically, I was getting, when my story first went public, I was getting a lot of Daily Mail uh, readers uh, commenting about how stupid I must be to have believed this this six years of this lie, um, and so I thought, well, I, I quite like a benchmark to know where just I am. How stupid you are? <laughs> yeah, just how stupid I am. You know where I come in the stupidity levels. Um, so I thought, well, the only thing you can really do is an IQ test, which is done for the, the Mensa IQ test. So I I went and did the exam, and the. Um, the, the Mensa only takes the people who are in the top 2% in the IQ levels of the country that they're in. Uh, and I wasn't in the top 2%. I was in the top one. Uh, <laughs> and it came back with an IQ. I think there's two different scores. One was 148 and the other one was 152 um, for my IQ. So it was, uh, I, was I, felt, I felt a bit better then. Yes. <laughs> so, I think you should brag about that. So, so I, jo- I joined Mensa just for the sake of being able to say I was in Mensa, you know, which I Would think you- quite a few people do. Would you say that um, to to follow this elaborate lie and keep track of all of these lies that he's been telling you and plant these seeds to such effectiveness, do you think that he was also very intelligent as well? Yes, I do. Uh, I think he's uh, he. I think he has incredible aptitude. So he has the he has an amazing ability to learn. Right, and I think I think it's partly because. Um, he had, he's people who have empathy, who have empathy for other people, who have love, who have you know that our relationships take up an awful lot of our lives. Yeah. You know, our you know the time we spend with people we care about, our friends, our family, you know, etc., takes up quite a lot of our lives. If you don't have that, if you have a kind of a hole where that part of your life is, um, you, you know, you, you you fill it with other things. And I think in his case, he he filled it filled it with learning. Uh, he read very very fast. Um, you know, he he came across as incredibly accomplished. Uh, he did things like he would say he could play the piano a little bit. 
and and I'd say, great. And I used to play concerts when I was 11. You know, I can't play nearly as well now as I did when I was even 11 <laughs> years old. But yeah, um, but uh, you know, he, he I would say, sit down, play. And so he would sit down and he would play better than I could. Uh, and he'd play some blues, some jazz, some pop, some classical, you know, just a few bars. And then he was, then he'd kind of go, no, no I'm, I'm embarrassed, you know, and he would stop. And, uh, and that'd be it. And I was just like, wow, you know, so he says he can play this a little bit. Um, but I mean, actually he plays so, so well. Um, it turns out he can't, by the way, he can't play the piano at all. He, he, he just, just he those... can play the first few bars of each of those pieces. Uh, and he just always uses that as the same thing. So he'll say he can speak a language. So he, there was a, one example he used to say he could speak Japanese. He said he lived in Japan for, for two years. And I think it was before he found out my sister actually is married to a Japanese man and lives in Japan. Um, <laughs> and it took two, two years for him to meet my sister. Um, and uh, when he did meet my sister, we had already had a, uh, a daughter together, a miracle child that he said he was incapable of fathering, that his parents rang me to say how pleased they were to have their first grandchild, even though they'd spent Christmas with the other wife and their five kids. Um, was it but, actually uh, his parents? Yes, they were. He, they, they helped set up some of the victims as well. Um, so, but the, you know, what he, he came, he came to lunch and met my sister and I didn't, because he always used to vanish when my sister was around. I just, I kind of, I, somewhere in the deep back of my mind, I just went, no, nah, I'm not going to tell him. So he didn't know she was going to be there. I think, I don't know. I can't really remember that much, but, uh, we were sitting there having lunch with my mother and my sister was there. My sister decided she was going to test him, you know, whether he could actually speak Japanese. So she asked him something in Japanese uh, which couldn't be a yes, no answer. Uh, and <clears throat> years later, she actually, we were talking about it and we went, what happened? Because she knew she'd asked the question, but she didn't know, but she, she never got the answer, but she wasn't suspicious of it. And we actually worked out that that was the time that the baby, his baby's high chair fell over. So <clears throat> the high chair fell over. The baby started screaming. We picked the baby up. You know, oh my gosh, is she okay? Check her head. You know, everything else. Uh, and basically, yeah. And it's like we, we were really confused because the, the the high chair's legs were really splayed. We thought, could she have managed to push herself off the table? You know, it's like how how on earth did this thing fall over? That's dangerous. That so allegedly he, he did that. He, kicked his uh, I don't even think it's allegedly to be honest, but yeah, uh, I I personally believe that he kicked over. The, the high chair just to avoid answering that question but you you've got to understand that that psychopaths don't give in monkeys they don't care they have no emotional attachment to their own children any more than they do to anyone else so there's there's no empathy there there's no you know the fact that she might actually have hit her head and got brain damage it was just a means into an end so if if you guys were plotting that surprise with the sister and that was a couple of years into your relationship. So you must have been thinking something's not quite right, right then at the two year around the two year mark. Yeah, but I mean, at the, at the time, it wasn't so much um, thinking that was. I, I wasn't this plotting. Is, is is a big word. Yeah, <laughs> it was. I think it was more subliminal than that. Right. It was just you know, sort of my sister. My sister was there, and I just hadn't mentioned to him that she was going to be there for lunch. Um, I think it was more the idea that I thought he was nervous of meeting her than I thought there was anything dodgy. But you said that your sister wanted to test him because she didn't think that he could yeah, speak well, Japanese. Yeah, well, my sister would, you know, if my sister, <laughs> my my elder sister, if she had the chance, she she would actually get a private detective on any of her siblings' partners. Um, <laughs> she, she's very, very, she's, she's she probably like, would well, now after the, after <laughs> your ex. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a reason why I haven't since. Yeah, there, there's yeah, yeah. She she was she's always been she's always been very very suspicious. Where you know she's diametrically opposite to me in that sense. Um, you know she she would just be she would assume someone was a criminal unless you know unless they Proved were a otherwise. judge and then even <laughs> even then you know uh but yeah she, she's she's very suspicious so that that again it wasn't but the, i mean the red flags were you know every time a red flag came up he would have a, a reason or a, an expression that would explain it um and about four years into the relationship um we he decided to get out of the the intelligence service he, he was very disillusioned with it, wanted to get out of it. And um, he joined, uh, he started being self-employed and joined a software company um, and was charging them £10,000 a month in, in bills um, for work he was doing. So suddenly we had a very lucrative lifestyle. And then about six months into that, um, <clears throat> he told me that people had discovered when he was uh, undercover work he'd done before had been, uh, identified, he'd been identified by unsavories, is how they describe them, um, and that they, because he now had a regular job, um, they knew where his wife and children lived, and that they had threatened to kidnap our kids and rip bits off them and send them through the post unless we came up with money. So uh, this is after four years of brainwashing, and uh, I believed him. Uh, I was utterly terrified and I didn't sleep. I was by this time pregnant with our second child. Um, I was another miracle. Yeah. Another miracle. Um, one that we this time actively tried to conceive because we thought it might be possible. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I, I sold everything I owned to keep my children safe because I was in this complete blind panic mode. Um, I'm just totally out of my depth and couldn't talk to anyone about it. Couldn't articulate it. Um, and I was just utterly terrified. It was horrendous. It was just, it, well, was like, I, it felt like a shark's feeding frenzy. Completely understandable as well. Like, yeah. You've been... I mean, looking, looking back, I, mean, I kind of go, somebody turned around to me now and said, oh, I'm going to kidnap your kids unless you give me money. And I'd be, I'd be like, get lost, go away. I'd go to call the police, you know, it, but it was a four year slide down, down well, brain, to that Brainwashing, point. you know, yes. yeah. Yes. So, you know, it was just that, that kind of drip feed day by day of gas. It's called gaslighting. Um, so it's the love bombing and then gaslighting. And the gaslighting really is just making you feel like you don't have any leg to stand on. You don't have any place to turn. You don't have any option other than to believe the person and to depend on the person who's actually the abuser. But someone that's positioned themselves also as a position of trust and, I mean, this is your partner, this is your husband, this is... Yeah. Um, it's it's the classic sleeping with the enemy. Literally, um, yeah. Yeah. So it's a... Uh, yeah. I mean, there's actually the, the, there's a, an issue with consent that we're, we've been talking about recently. I don't know if you've... You, what the sort of situation is in Australia when you're talking about consent, but um, there's a there's sort of a massive deal at the moment. So if you can imagine... If your husband uh, sleeps with somebody else and knows that if he tells you, you won't sleep with him again, then if he doesn't tell you and you sleep with him, your your consent has been nullified by default. Does that make sense? So it's like if you if your partner knows that you wouldn't sleep with them if you if they knew the truth about something, then oh, your consent okay. has so- been given falsely. Mm. All right, your consent yeah. has been given uh, under under false information. Yeah. 
Well, withholding okay. that information that would change your change yes. your decision. Yeah. So had I had I known that he was married, I wouldn't have slept with him. Had I known that he was a convicted paedophile, I wouldn't have slept with him. Had I known that when he wrote that email to me saying that he was infertile and couldn't have kids as a child uh, because he had months as a child, uh, but his wife and the nanny, both living in the house with him, were also pregnant when he wrote that email, uh, I wouldn't have slept with him. You know, every single sexual encounter I had with that man was actually sexual assault because his my consent was given under false information. Hmm. Where did you think that he was actually, like, looking back on it, where did he, hmm. you think that now he was actually working? Like, did he have a regular job to no, get this he, money? No, well, most of the money he gets, he gets off women, um, like me. Um, so he took me for about £198,000 and oh. then left me £56,000 in debt to, a credit, to credit cards that he'd taken out in my name. Because we were supposedly married, he, he he persuaded me to get a credit card, and then he used that information to get other ones, and he got himself a spouse card. Uh, so he had a credit card with his name on it, but it was my debt. So I was left with the £56,000 debt. But, uh, I mean, that was one way I was getting money. But, yeah, he was working for the software company, and he was billing them £10,000 a month, and he was getting paid £10,000 a month, but it took them about six months to realize because he was creating websites, because he was creating software and it takes time to do that. It took them quite a while to realize he wasn't actually doing anything. He was literally just billing them for nothing. Um, and uh, although he looked like he'd, he you know, talked a good talk about doing the IT work, he actually didn't have the skills to do it. Um, so, But generally, the, the bigger software companies won't actually advertise that. They will just cut the person loose and then go on to the next one. So they don't even sue them for it. They just, it's a, it's a, it's a con. I mean, he's conned actually millions out of businesses. Uh, he's, he's, <laughs> there's one business guy got in touch with me, read the book, he read the bigamist and he, he got in touch with me and said, I, actually, I, I worked with him um, just around that time that I met him. Uh, he got a job working for this company and uh, he'd been in a company car. He'd been given, you know, all this money. He'd been doing the software. He'd been smoozing their clients and everything else and saying, oh, yes, yes, everything was coming along. He actually bankrupted the company because they, you know, all the stuff that they were, they were setting up things to work with clients and they, the clients didn't get what they, what they needed because what he was producing didn't exist. Um, and then, you know, they, they were like going through administration and going bankrupt because he just vanished when he, when he finished with them. Um, and, uh, they, they couldn't find the company car. And six months later, they actually, uh, got a, a call from the airport and he left the, uh, car in short-term parking at the airport. And the, the charges that the airport had racked up actually were more than the value of the car. <laughs> it's just like. I, I, but it's if not. he was doing this to businesses, why wasn't he charged with fraud? Because in some in, in the bigger companies, it's not worth their reputation or the the time to actually. Even though they, he he got like I think he got about hundred thousand pounds out of this particular software company, but it's still not worth their while. Even You're the one that went about- bankrupt. The one that bank bankrupt, they don't have the money to go through the court. And actually, it's that they went bankrupt not because the money he took for them, but because he didn't produce the work yeah. that the clients had paid them for. So they had to give the money back to the clients. How was he, like, was he changing his name or he was just? 
Like how he is does he now? Been? He does now. No, and that those days he was he was just working under his own name. Um, but he just he was sailing very close to the wind. Uh, I mean, he was breaking the law, but it's actually quite difficult for them to prove because he was designing software, because he was designing... There was a guy quite recently um, who had a, a car showroom in America, for instance, and he, he he was doing two things for them. He was designing a website for his business, so all these cars that were being sold, so he was designing this website. Um, and if you go onto the website, you can see it's a very pretty website. It looks great, but it doesn't have any functionality. You can't actually click on the car and bid for it. You can't actually do anything. It's just a brochure site aesthetic that makes sense yeah it's just so it looks good but it actually doesn't do anything um so you know he he shows them you know the demonstration about it and gets the money and then just doesn't then just disappears um you know he was also setting up fundraising sites for for um uh hospitals in uh, cameroon i think it was um for the same person and uh, the, the guy was he's saying, great, you know, it's wonderful. And they were raising lots of money. But when the guy went to try and get the money that's been raised, nothing there. So, and again, really difficult for him to go to court and prove because he doesn't have any evidence that the money was ever there. At what point did you... I, I heard a story that um, he was so invested in this lie of being in the CIA and everything that he messed his feet up to prove that he'd yeah <laughs> it's like the what this one thing the psychopaths are um they don't care about anyone including themselves so they don't care about they have no emotional connection to other people so i don't know if you've ever come across the the um game sims um, which is a little computer game where you can make people do things. I've heard of it. I've um, never played it. Yeah. So that that's that's kind of like what life is like to a psychopath. You know, they, they just manipulate people as if they're computer characters. They don't have any emotional connection to them. And um, so a psychopath uh, doesn't actually care about their future selves either. So they, they can actually experience pain and they'll live it in the moment, but they don't care that they're going to experience pain in the future. So they don't they don't care that they're going to go to jail in the future because they don't care about you or I might not drink too much one night because we worry about ourselves the next day having a hangover. Yeah. Right. So we actually um, we actually empathize with our future self. So a psychopath doesn't even empathize with their future self. So they can actually do harm to themselves, um, like sick, burning themselves and stuff like that, because they don't care that their future self is going to feel that pain. That makes any sense. Yeah, it <laughs> so does. They did. They've actually done research studies where they've actually got um, empaths and psychopaths um, in an electric chair, and they'll say to the the they'll measure the heart rate, and say to to the empath, right, we're going to give you an electric shock. So the empath starts the heart rate starts to go up because they're worrying about their future self. Yeah, they give the electric shot, it shoots shoots up, and then comes down back to a normal base rate. Oh my god, that's okay, fine, we're okay. You know, and they say, right, we're going to give you another one. The heart rate bumps right back up to what it was when they got the shock the first time because they they know that their, their future self is going to feel that pain. You do that to a psychopath and the psychopath's heart rate stays steady and they have the electric shock, it jumps up, comes back to normal. They say, we're going to give you another one, it stays steady because they don't have that emotional response to even their own pain. It's terrifying when you put right. it in that physiological response like that. Hmm. Like... 
Yeah, that's they terrifying. Are almost, they are almost different species. And it's like they're not. They're human beings. They just they have that, that switch. They just have a switch that hasn't that doesn't work. And that switch is that empathy and that connection with other human beings. So we can get into that later. But basically what he did is he 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 was away when I was pr- the later part of the pregnancy with our first daughter. Um, and what happened is he, w- he was away for the birth. He said he was coming home. Whilst I was giving birth, he was saying, he's on his way. He's going to be at the hospital. He's going to be hospital. So not only was I giving birth, I was watching the door for him to walk through because I was expecting any moment that he would appear. He met his daughter when she was three months old. Didn't come for three months. For three months, I was sitting there waiting for him to come. Uh, and when he arrived back, he he said that basically he had not been, he was actually in the Palestinian territories in a place called Janine. And on the news, there had been the fact that Janine had been um, allegedly uh, bulldozed by the Israelis. And, you know, the people, I mean, he'd been sending me photographs of the dead kids in the street. You know, he, he'd he been dropped behind, behind in inverted in commas, behind Ermini Lines. As an IT um, person that sits in a van. Well, he, that's that was his specialist area. So, right. you know, it was, yeah, he was gathering information. Right. Um, he shouldn't have been there. He got trapped um, and he couldn't take his boots off for three months. Um, so he was messaging me from there, from a satellite phone. Uh, he was messaging me and I, I would get messages. But, you know, and he was showing me pictures of, of the devastation. But it was, I, I would leave my computer turned up loud. So if he if he messaged in the middle of the night, I would I would be able to get a chance to talk to him. Um, so I didn't sleep much, you know, et cetera. Plus I had a new baby. Yeah. Um, so sleep deprivation is a really big part of brainwashing. Um, anyway, so, but when he arrived home, you know, the physical evidence of this was the fact that his feet were mangled and, and cracked and black and blue. They were really, they were in awful state. Um, and, you know, and it was like, oh, right. You know, so it really did happen because, you know, what else could have happened to his feet? You know, they were, they were crushed. Um, and yeah, I found out. <laughs> found out when I found out the truth that he'd actually gone around for two weeks before he came back to me with boots two sizes too small for him. He'd actually self-inflicted crush wounds on his feet just to be able to have that physical evidence to show me when he got back. But that three months would have been te- terrifying because you wouldn't have, like you didn't know what was happening. You are expecting him to come home and then That's suddenly the- he just disappeared. Yeah, and it's also rather like it's it's rather like uh, it's rather like being married to Superman, all right. In the sense that you're sitting there complaining that he's not come back for dinner and he's off saving the world. Yeah, you know, you feel so petty because okay, you've just given birth on your own. You just you know you're bringing up a newborn baby on your own when he's supposed to be there, but he's in a war zone. Yeah, and you just you feel. I mean, that's all part of the gaslighting. You feel so awful complaining. You feel so dreadful. And everybody else, of course, is saying, where the heck is he? You know, he's supposed to be here. And you can't tell them. You can't tell them. You just say, look, he's away for work. He'll be back, you know. So you're feeling demoralized and ashamed and embarrassed and and guilty because you shouldn't, you know, you should just get on with it because it's his, you know, that's his job. Um, and it is, it is it's gaslighting. It's, it's brainwashing. Um you know, just when you look back on it, you just go, oh, but it was never, it was never, you know, I wasn't told it was going to be three months. I was told it would be a day, a day here, you know, it'd be another day. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. It was always that kind of constant with the check is in the post. I don't know if you ever heard that expression. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're just waiting for, you know, and it's not even just, you know, 
every hour you you're you know you wait he might actually pitch up he might actually turn up and then eventually he does um so it's kind of that conditioning and then when he arrives you don't want to have a fight <laughs> you just no because he's finally home and he's and in he's a terrible been to state this, and been in the war zone and you just want to yeah. look after oh, him he was and- really he was thin and he was ill and he was gray when he came back you know um and from from that and that was when he said that he didn't want to stay in the service anymore he'd had enough um so yeah, really just, believable like when you're on the other end of that like that's really believable it is i mean it's 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 like but it is when you don't know that somebody can go to those lengths yeah to lie but if to he's you. coming up if he's appearing gray and gaunt and his feet are mangled and he's sending you these pictures and he's calling you on a sat phone and you know, you're years into people following you and and tapping you on a shoulder at at cinemas yeah. and stuff, and you're fully in the. My husband's working with the CIA, yeah, and doing a dangerous job. Like that's. Oh, how did there you... are there are people that do those jobs? Yeah, <laughs> they exist, and they do. They I, I mean, interviewed uh, one. Yay. <laughs> Were they sure? <laughs> she was sure. She wasn't overseas. She was Australian based. <laughs> but it's like I mean, there are people that do that job. You know, sort of like my 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 uncle, who's uh, now deceased, but uh, he he was involved in in um, the intelligence services. So you know, I did know people who were actually, um, yeah, sort of like involved. And it, it, it so I mean, it, it does exist. This is not a fantasy in that sense. You know, yeah. people do do these jobs, and it's not um, like you can ring up the CIA and go. Can you do me an employment Can you just check, please? This? And this, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this man that I want to marry is, you know, legit. <laughs> My uncle did actually turn around to me afterwards and give me an absolute rollicking, um, and said, "You know, why didn't you check with me?" Um, and uh, and I, I was, I was saying, you know, well, I couldn't because he was technically American, not British intelligence, yeah. and you know, so I'd had to, if I had checked with my uncle you know i would have been dumping my husband in it so yeah (laughs) did he understand that though did he go did he capitulate on that yeah 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 yeah, he did he did but he was still it was still to him i had i had i had sort of made the choice to yeah it was it was a betrayal to my uncle as far as he was concerned yeah no he wasn't he wasn't that you know he was fine it was all right was your uncle uh, um office-based or field-based in his role uh, office based, okay. um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's like I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about that, so we probably That's fine. <laughs> we won't we won't talk about it. Like, I get it. Say, I actually part, got a lot of consent to do the interview with the with the lady that I did. <laughs> might have to might have to sign the official secret. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, as I say, he's passed now, so it's not. Uh, I don't think it's an issue, but. Um, yeah, I mean it's all it's all bizarre. I mean one one of the things he did we were talking about is self harming. Um, there was one of the ladies because because I now know a lot of his previous victims. Uh, one of them ha- already had some children, didn't want to have any more, so she said she was going to get her tubes tied, and he said no 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 that's far too invasive. I'll go and get a vasectomy. Oh no! So he went off and he came back with what looked like two cigarette burns either side of his testes, and you know when she got pregnant again. Um, he said, oh, you know, that, that, that there is always a chance that the operation doesn't work. 
And uh, so, yeah, (laughs) that usually makes men's eyes water, the the idea of actually burning your own. Make my eyes water and I don't even have those body parts. (laughs) Mine are metaphorical and in it, you know, (laughs) we're a borrow with me at all times. (laughs) My big brass ones. Yeah, so I mean, there, there are all sorts of things. That the one of the later victims in the USA, she she was saying that that he had he told her a story about how um, his mother had abused him as a baby, and and had actually because he was crying. I know this makes no sense, but because because he was crying, she had actually dunked him in boiling water, um, holding his legs and his and his body. She dumped his bum and genitals in boiling water. And uh, and this lady who was a nurse um, said that you know that he had the scars to prove it. You know he had he had burn scars all around his groin area, um, and we we're all baffled because he didn't have scars when I knew him, and he certainly didn't have scars when the lady after her knew him. Um, so we don't know what he did to himself to to make it look like he had burn scars around his groin area. So was this was this nurse after you? Yes. So how did this I mean, yeah, all unravel? Yeah. How did the whole <laughs> We're sort of telling this all in a very odd order, aren't we? Yeah. Uh in in sort of two thousand and six, the fifth of April two thousand and six, um, I got a phone call from his other wife. Um and she she basically just had had enough and she phoned a number that she believed to be a MOD uh safe line. And then when she spoke to me <laughs> We realised that we were both married to the same man. She jumped in the car. She drove up from, I think it was like Manchester or Oxford or something. And uh, she she drove up and we sat and talked for 12 hours and we showed each other pictures of our children who are all look alike. So she had five children wow. to him. She knew the nanny had two children to him. Um, when, when the nanny had got pregnant the first time, she'd taken the nanny in. Um, and then the nanny got set pregnant the second time. I, I don't know whether she carried on living with the family or seven children together kind of thing. Um, she knew of another child had born in America. She knew of, you know, and et cetera. So at the time we knew of 10 children basically between so how, But how does that come, like when you're realizing that you're on the phone, how does that conversation play out? Because if she thought she was ringing some safe number and you're going, who's on the phone? And she's going, I'm such and such as wife. And you're going, hang on a minute, I'm such and such as wife. Like what, <laughs> like the penny dropping moment, what was that like? Was it anger? Like were you angry of this, this it's, the it's, other woman a, or was it like a yeah, we're angry at It's him a long, or? long story. It is a long story, um, <laughs> which I will, I will shorten dramatically. But, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why you have to read the book, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I had to leave something. You know, it's like that the, the book is it, uh, it's really funny because it's, I used to do the show. I don't know if you know of a guy called John Ronson. He wrote a book called The no. Psychopath Test. No. Uh, but he wrote that because he met me. Uh, and uh, we, because I, I not because you're a psychopath, of, but because of the but yes, because yeah. I, because he's so fascinated about it. And we used to do a show where we did a touring show. All of and we were actually we, we were going to bring it to Australia, oh, and then do, COVID hit. Do bring it to Australia, so, but we we sold out on every occasion. Uh, we we were like selling out to audiences of two thousand plus, and it was called the Psychopath Night. But every night he would always say, you know, me calling my book the Bigamist was rather like calling the Sixth Sense. He's dead. <laughs> 
like, but the point was that the bigamy was actually one of the nicest things he did. So it's a slight red herring, but yeah, it's sort of like reading the, the sort of like the, the book title. It, it, it's not a thriller in the sense of, you know, you're going to get a twist at the end. You know, there, there are people who are reading it and thinking, maybe he was a spy. Maybe that's the twist. And it's like, no, it's a memoir. And it's As like, mentioned on the tin. Yeah, yeah. I tell everyone that he's a bigamist from the start because I want people to realise, see how it's done. Yeah, you know, I want them to see the red flags. I want them to actually learn from it, and I want them to go, yeah, okay. So there are some people that read it and just go, you know, well, that was obvious, and it's like, well, yes, it was obvious because you were told from the beginning. I would have thought it was obvious too if I'd been told from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's like, weirdly enough, the people that actually say that probably never would have got caught because actually it's only empaths that get caught by psychopaths because this, I've gone completely off what the original question was, but no, that's fine. it's only empaths that, caught, that get caught by psychopaths because the psychopath will do something like the very beginning, like turn around and say, oh, I had a terrible childhood or my wife oh, left me oh. or my wife's died or anything. And an empath will turn around and go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. What can I do to help? Right, somebody who's non-empathic, but not psychopathic, just just in the middle ground there, yeah. will turn around and say, "Well, what do you expect me to do about it?" <laughs> right. So when they when they first start targeting you and they start, they they won't bother with those people because those people won't be malleable. They won't be, you know. So, so, so you end the, up, you know, that's yeah. the test question, really. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So it's like there are different psychopaths who use different techniques. You know, there, there's, I mean, this is something I'd go through in my second book, The Psychopath, but there are four control dramas, poor me, interrogator, intimidator, and aloof. So they, they will use whatever technique works on the victim. They, they, so, and it will be different for each victim. So, it, it, you know, there are different techniques they can use, but that's one of them. But, yeah, so it's empaths who get caught by psychopaths, not your average population so when people actually review my book and said oh i would never have fallen for this i'm looking at them going you're probably right <laughs> it's like <laughs> my book is not necessarily for you it's for the empaths who would get it you know so that they can actually learn from my experience and actually not get caught in the same way how um, um so. when you confronted him because i'm assuming that you confronted him or you may yeah. have just thrown his clothes out and burnt them on the front front no, porch i don't know <laughs> He did that just as I was taking a swig of coffee. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I'll tell you how I confronted him. It's, it's when she left after 12 hours, right? Um, and I, when, when she left, I actually texted him and I dumped him by text. I thought it was the most appropriate way to dump him. <laughs> so you ended, up, ended up doing the dumping by text, you know, yeah. was it seven, yeah. six years or seven years after you were originally going to and he proposed? Yeah, yeah. So I just sort of like went, no, nope, not working for me. Because the other thing is uh, she wanted to get home and get the kids away before, because he was down there with her at the time. Oh. So she wanted to get the kids away before she, um, you know, before he found out that we'd met. So I didn't tell him we'd met. I just turned around and said, no, this is not working for me. You know, it's over. Um, and uh, so he then got very cross and then he started pleading and then, you know, Within hours of her getting home, he knew what had happened. Um, she then contacted me and said, "It's you know, it's all true." He, she, she thought he was working for British intelligence, so she, she got in contact with me and said, "No, no, no, it's all true. It's all true." You know, sort of like we, we're wrong. You know, um, it's, it's, it's all true. Just we go back to what the original thing was. I was just like, "No, it's not." <laughs> 
So because he was with her, he's very, very, he has a very kind of magnetic pull on you when you, yeah. especially if, I mean, she'd been brainwashed for 16 years, you know, so she was, you know, she was, yeah, really well you know, in it. Yeah. Yeah. So she really didn't get free of him until he went to jail. Um, what did he end up going to jail for? So he was charged and went to jail for, he was convicted of bigamy, yeah. fraud against yeah. uh, one of his five fiancés. Um, so he didn't just have two wives, he had five fiancés. <laughs> and he defrauded this one out of £5,000. So And used a credit card and things like that. So m- much more money than that, but he was convicted of £5,000. Uh, he was convicted of um, carrying a firearm because he had a taser in the car when he was arrested. Um, which was actually the taser, taser that he got for me to defend myself against the people that were coming to get my kids. Um, and when I moved, when I I was homeless, I moved in with my parents. So I, I told them I wouldn't have it in the house, their house, because, you know, legal responsibility and stuff. So uh, so he had it in the car, which I think is quite... You know, Ironic, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he had that in the car. So he was, he was charged with that. And he was also charged with not registering his dress under the Sex Offenders Act because 10 years, nine years previously, he had been convicted of sexual offences against a girl under the age of 13. So, um, and that that's, uh, I mean, that, that's another whole story. But... Um, Basically, I don't think he is, he's never had any other convictions in that area. I don't think, I wouldn't describe him as, as a natural pedophile. Um, I think what he was doing is he was alienating the mother from the support she usually got from the daughter. And in doing so, he would have an affair. So, um, and they had an affair basically with a nine-year-old. But actually, I mean, he he would do things like that. You know, he would he would try and have an affair with the best friend of the person he was, um, who was this target. So he he kind of he one of my friends he did say she made a pass at him, and it made me very uncomfortable with her because I thought, why would she do that? That's my friend, you know. So so we sort of didn't really you know, talk much after that. Um, but he Which did want to turn to because me. he was. Well, he said that she made a pass, or she told yes. you that he made a pass. No, no, she, she, she. He told me that she made a pass. Oh goodness! Um, but he did actually once turn around to me and say, "My sister had made a pass at him," and uh, another, the diff- a different sister to the one previously. Um, and uh, I, he, he said, "Oh, yeah, she, she, she just, she just gonna, you know, made a pass at me." And I just, I literally roared my head off, and I just, I just laughed, laughed myself stupid, and went, "No, she didn't." You know, because it's like, you know, there was no way my sister would have done that ever in a million years. Um, and he just went, oh, well, I must have been mistaken. And looking back now, I realized that that was actually just trying to drive another wedge. Yeah. Um, so I think I think with the paedophile conviction, I think he was doing the same thing. You know, he was just he was having an affair with the child because that was a way in his mind having an affair and just say it's not my turn i would say that's that's in his mind his terminology and i think he realizes now that was a big mistake because that conviction follows him around um but it's just it's just another kind of uh piece of evidence to show that this is somebody who has no empathy at all for anybody um not even not even his own children so how long uh, that was he... that wasn't one of his own children i should say it was a it was a, a daughter of a, one of his victims so how many victims had there has there been that you know of? Because you've started a Facebook group, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. We have a Facebook group of all the victims. Um, but it, that ebbs and What's flows. What's it called, because... the bigamist and the psychopath? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's called WJXs. But uh, it's it's non-discoverable because people do ask and it's like we don't – it's it's when the new victims come forward, we 
you know, after they've been vetted and checked and we make sure it's not him, um, amongst other things. But, uh, you know, we are very careful because these are, these are vulnerable people. Um, and you know, the nice thing is we're all victims of the same guy. So we can, we can talk about like when, when somebody's dating again and they have, have, you know, flashbacks or worries or, you know, they, they can talk to somebody who knows exactly why they have these worries. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really funny kind of fantastic. I think, I think everyone should do it. You know, I think think everyone should have an exes club. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's very different. Like if you're then in a position where you've trusted this person that deceived you so wholeheartedly, yeah, spectacularly, and you didn't realize what was going on, that has to create a huge amount of doubt in your own judgment. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, obviously he's very intelligent and he's um, not right in terms of doing this in, in many ways. Um, <laughs> we'll just leave that there. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd say that how do you trust your own self-judgment if you didn't get it right that first time and it was so disastrous? Yeah. Like I, I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually um one one of the reasons I recovered as fast as I did. Um because when I when I sort of came out of it, I I had been a, a victim of childhood sexual abuse. Um which stopped when I was 6 years old, but at the age of 26 I was I had low self-esteem, I was self-harming, I was doing all sorts of things. And I realized at 26 in my process of recovery that actually what happened to me stopped when I was 6 years old. Everything mm-hmm. that happened to me from six to twenty-six, I did to myself, um, and that's what we tend to do. We tend to shame ourselves yeah. about having been a victim of a crime. We tend to sort of feel deep, deep shame for having not known that somebody was out to, out to get us. And I'd probably say guilt as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, you 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 feel shame for something you are. You feel guilt for something you've done. So you're probably yeah. more right about being guilty as opposed to you know and it's you you actually think of yourself in those terms as being just as bad as the pedophile so oh, you end really? up not not taking on you know relationships well because you participated in the game you know particularly with a childhood sexual abuse where it's not necessarily you're not scared because you think this is what's actually meant to be going on because um, you don't know it's not happening to everyone and probably also what they're telling you don't tell anybody this is your fault i would imagine i mean that's yeah. what yeah yeah um, but as a result, you know, when this happened to me, I, I had resolved that when I was 26, I'd resolved it. I'd worked it out. I'd forgiven myself for participating. Mm. I had, you know, really gone through a lot of self-development. Good on you. Good on you. Um, so when this happened, when I turned 40, I was like, I am not wasting another 20 years punishing myself for having been a victim of a crime. Um, when, and I just, how old I'd, were you, sorry, how old were you when you met him? 34. Okay, so it was post post that work, but still very yeah. Hmm. So and it, it was it was a uh, yeah it was bad timing, <laughs> but yeah I I just I I did do that kind of thing of and I, I described myself as being the zebra that got away from the lion and yeah. I'm actually going to write a kids book based on that right um, because it's like so many I use it so much that expression. Um, and it's the, the reason being that, that if a zebra was caught by, you know, a, a mouse was caught by a cat or a zebra was caught by a lion, if it gets away, 
it's not going to spend the rest of its life going, oh no, I got caught by a lion. You know, it's going to celebrate its freedom. It's going to yeah. go, yes, I got away. And so that that's that's what I choose to do. And I just decided I'm not going to punish myself. I'm not going to go around not trusting people. What I was going to do is going, okay, right, I'm going to spot the lion, lions in the future. You know, I'm going to be the one that actually can recognize them. Yeah. So instead of putting my energy into feeling bad and mistrusting people and just going around um, being miserable and bitter, um, I put my energy into studying psychopaths. And so I'd be able to recognize them and help other people recognize them so they don't get caught in the first place. Or, I mean, the other thing is that, that, and with my book, The Psychopath, it's very much about how I recovered. And I systematically went physically, emotionally, intellectually, financially, um, spiritually, all the aspects of my life, I went through and reclaimed them. So I went to the the plays that we'd been together. Uh, I went to houses that we'd been together, you know, sort of like me and Will. Excuse me. And I'm I went to all these different things and just, you know, I reclaimed them. So I went to the play that we've been together. So when I see or hear that play, I remember me going to it with another friend, not me going to it with him. That's interesting. Did you, was it a struggle? Like when you're sitting there going to that, to that play, for example, was that a real. Emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for filling in the gap there. I couldn't think of the word. (laughs) Well, I was uh, the, the, I went to Les Miserables in London, which is something we'd been to together. And I sat, I went on my own because I, I went down to a meeting in London. I thought, right, this is what I'm going to do. So I went, I went to Les Mis and I told the, the people at the, the desk what had happened and that, that this is what I was doing. So they gave me a really nice seat. I mean, it was oh. a, one seat that was left, you know, um, but in a really good seat for, for a fraction of the price. Uh, and I was sitting there and the whole way through, I was blubbing the whole way through, you know, sort of tissues coming out. And I actually sort of like, <laughs> the guy beside me was getting really annoyed. It's <laughs> like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know, this is triggering for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so it was like, you know, that was quite funny. There's probably somebody dining out in a story about how he was he went to Le Mis and was really trying to enjoy it. But there's a woman really sitting annoying next to him just <laughs> Chef, honestly, they're not cheap those tickets either. But um, so yeah, so that that's it's, it's, I, I reclaimed it, and I decided that you know, I mean, when I when I first wrote the book, the Megamist, first one, people said to me, "Are, are you going to write it under your own name?" And I was just like, and it was the the attitude with which they asked it. I was just like, "Yeah," because I didn't have anything to be embarrassed about, and that that was something that I thought you know that perception that you should be ashamed you should be embarrassed about having been conned and it's like that 20 certainly you know what's 15 years now 15 years ago um certainly there was that perception that you really wouldn't want people to know you've been conned because that's embarrassing but is it the um, fact that they no. didn't want want like <clears throat> the conning aspect or was it a security issue that they were concerned about mm. no it was the it was the embarrassment that I would be embarrassed about it as opposed to secure. Um, I mean, it's, it really, it was, I, I, one thing I thought was really important was that it was important for me to do it on my own name. You know, a hundred years ago, women who were raped wouldn't come forward. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't say it because they would be branded. They they would be branded as, as loose women, mm. you know, for, for having walked down a certain street or looked well, at a guy in a certain some way, you know. Con- some countries they're stoned for it. Yeah. Yeah, um, still. And it's like, but it took women, certainly in, in the sort of like Britain and, and other places, um, standing up and saying, look, this happened to me and I was not 
complicit. I was not, it, it was not my fault. Um, so I kind of felt that, <laughs> I mean, when this happened to me, I walked into a bookshop and I said, I want to read a book about this. You know, I just found out my husband's a bigamist and a con man who actively impregnates women to rip them off for money. And, I, and, you know, I want to read something similar. And the guy behind the counter just kind of shook his head and went, <clears throat> not been done. So I'd walked into a publisher and said, this has happened to me. I'm going to write a book about it. And they grabbed it with both hands. I, only I was going to say, they would have been drooling over it. Yeah. Oh, I was the first I was the first bigamist's wife in the UK, certainly, to write a book, a memoir about being a bigamist's wife. I mean, that that to me is extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's happened since, I have to say. Um, but it's, it, you know, I was, I was the first in the UK. Um, and I just thought that was amazing. Um, because, and again, you know, that, that was just, it was just revolutionary at the time mm. because people didn't talk about this stuff. Uh, and I'm really pleased to say that people are talking about it now and the people are, you know, there are so many people coming out of the woodwork and saying, actually, you know, I was conned and I'm not stupid and I'm not particularly gullible. I'm not naive. Um, these guys are really, and women are really good at what they do. Which one of your so, books is being used over in America for the, um, as one of the texts you were saying for psychopaths? The bigamist. The psychopath only came out in March. Okay. So, uh, but the bigamist is actually being used as a an example in, uh, I believe, um, it's being used as an example in one of the psychology uh, courses being done in America. Uh, it's also it was used in a, a study. Um, now, which study was it in? Um, Oh, I've forgotten the name of it. That's okay. uh, it was uh, Dr. Leanne Leedham, uh, who did a study on um, psychopathy uh, and how uh, the sort of the books have been written about psychopaths and, and whether or not they, they, the psychologists, agree with the diagnosis. Um, and they they agreed with me. There's a, there's a checklist called Dr. Robert Hare's PCLR, which is a psychopath checklist revised. Um, and uh, there, there's... 20 questions, 20 statements. And there are things like um, grandiose sense of self-worth. So you'd say the person was either zero, not at all, one, a little bit, or two, definitely. So there's pathological lying, um, criminal versatility, uh, many marital relationships, uh, juvenile delinquency, things like that. And there's, there's these 20 questions. So you can get you know anything from zero to 40 as a score. And when I go through it, which I, I did in a psychopath, I, I score him as 40 out of 40. You know, it's quite, I mean, pathological lying, duh, too. You know, criminal versatility, too. Um, you know, grandiose sense of self-worth, too. You know, so uh, many marital relationships. He's a bigamist, too. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like, do you know what I mean? And it's, so I scored him as 40 out of 40. And the nice thing that it was verified through this psychology report when they, these psychologists looked at it and they, they agreed that he was, he would score 40 out of 40. So the most prolific of psychopaths you can get really. Did he fight? What's the process once you've dumped him? Are you technically legally married to him because you are the second wife? Like what's no. that? No, it took me it took me nearly a year to find out how to dissolve my marriage. Yeah, and you know you get those the, those questions, those those forms you have to fill in, and they say marry, single, married, <laughs> single, divorced, um, widowed, etc. Um, and it's like you go, well, got married, so got I'm not divorced. Too. I'm not, you know. <laughs> What do I class there? And I yeah. actually, you know, so like there were very few forms that had other, you know. <laughs> so, are you 
just have to ring people up and say, you asked me to sign this form saying legally I'm, 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 everything's correct, but I can't. I can't tick one of those boxes. Um, as it turns out, I'm single. I've never actually been married. Okay. So the, the wedding was never legal. And because it was never legal, it was never, never happened, basically. So it took me ages. I used to try and find out whether I needed to get divorced, whether I had to get annulled, you know, et cetera. Um, and I rang the registry office at one point and just said, you know, Tell what me. do I do? Yeah. And, they, and they said, hang on a minute. And then he rang me about five minutes later and I said, done. And yeah. I was like, what? They said they got the court fax through the bigamy charge and the bigamy conviction. So that's now stapled to the front of my wedding certificate. <laughs> So, so I do have a wedding wedding certificate somewhere, but in front of it is faxed a court record saying that he was done for bigamy, and so it therefore never existed. So, how long is he in prison for? When's it? Like when does he get out? He got well. He's out already. He oh, got. Uh, it's two thousand and six. He was given a five year prison sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was deported straight from jail in two thousand and nine, second of May two thousand and nine, back to the USA. Told okay. him never to come back to Britain. Um, and which is a huge relief. Um, and within six months, seven months, I think it was, uh, I got the first, um, contact from the next victim. Um, there were three victims in quick succession got in touch because now when I, when I first met him, I had gone on the internet and tried to search to see if I could find any information about him and there was nothing there. Um, now when you find out who he is, you can search him and you, you'll actually find all the information that I put up, that the press has put up, that, you know, there's a lot of press articles on him. Um, and uh, so these people eventually, if he, when they find out his real name, they they find me. Um, and uh, we talk and include them in the Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> we actually had, there were eight of us who, uh, there was a fraud case brought against him in 2014 with a lovely lady who's very happy for my, me to use her name, but I won't just because it's... Um, That's, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Uh, but uh, she, she brought a case against him in 2014 and eight of us wrote to the judge saying, this is our experience with the same guy. Um, and when the when he when his lawyers told him about the letters sent from the other victims, um, he he changed his plea to guilty and took a three year plea deal. So he was in jail again from 2014 to 2017 in the USA, and then he was out and he's you now carried on. We know of 14 children now um, <gasps> by eight different women. Um, he averages four or five women at once, so he's always always on the hunt, always conning people uh, and always will do you know he will not stop ever you know until he dies because that is who he is that is what he is you know why would he you said if they find out his real name so he's using false names now yeah he tends to use a derivative of his name so his name's William Allen Jordan so he'll go under Allen Jordan or Guillaum Allen or G Jones or you know it's it's generally so that Actually, when people do find out his real name, he can say, well, yeah, I was christened William Jordan, but I used G, G, G Allen or whatever. And that's because I'm in the CIA. It's my middle name. Yeah. No, no. In America, he's passing himself off as British intelligence. Oh, of course he is. And he's got a British accent. Mm. <laughs> so he's, he's passing himself off as, he's passing himself off as a pediatric nurse, as a surgeon. <gasps> That's scary. As a, an owner of a yeah, I mean, there was with pediatric with a surgeon. Um, he used to meet his one of his girlfriends in the canteen at the hospital wearing the the surgeon's uniform. So you know, I mean, that's a different uh, level of ballsy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So and he he would he had uh, medical records in his flat as well um, that uh, she saw. 
I know. I mean, he just the, the level of detail he goes to 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 con his victims is really quite extreme. But uh, yeah, so he's out and he's doing it again, and he will do. Um, but I mean, so, somebody said, you know, why, why doesn't he stop or whatever? It's because it's like it's like saying, you know, you you your cat caught a mouse, so you put the cat in a in a cat cage or whatever and told it to not do it again, and then you let it out, and it's obviously it's going to carry on chasing mice. That's what it does. You know, and that's it's, it's as simple as that. They, they, he is a he is a product of who he is, and um, he won't stop. Yeah, he, he wow. that's just who he is. With your so. debt that he racked up, were you able to get that dissolved to prove that it was fraudulent, or did you pay that off? No, no, I had to. I, I, what, I got something called a protected trust deed, which meant that I got about eight thousand pounds. I scraped together. Um, <clears throat> I sold, I sold my story to the Daily Mail for five thousand. <laughs> I think I borrowed money off my parents, um, but uh, yeah, not my not my grandest hour. I have to oh, say, you've got to, got to do what you can needs do. Needs must at the time. Yeah. So yeah, I think there was about eight thousand pounds in the pot, and they accepted pennies in the pound. Um, yeah. Because of the situation, so about you know, I, I was actually out of out of that debt within a year, but I I had I'd lost everything. I had to start again from scratch, yeah. and including my job because I I was a business advisor. Um, I used to walk into people's companies and tell them how to run their businesses better, and having just been spectacularly outed as the, <laughs> the worst judge of character ever, you know, it was hard for me to actually carry on doing that. So you know, I I, I quit and I I well I wrote the book and and I've been. Uh, an author, uh, a publisher. I'm a writing coach, and uh, and um, you know, writing and self-publishing coach now. Um, so I help people, other people write their write their stories, and I don't ghostwrite. I help them write it. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and I help. I, I work with kids in schools and, and help them publish books. Um, so I just reinvented myself. Really, start again from scratch. And in 2018, um, bought my own house. Good on so you! Back, back, back on my feet, and uh, it's taken. It's taken a long time, yeah. Um, and it's sort of to be financially comfortable. I wouldn't yeah. say I'm rich. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm financially uh, rich feeling spirit. financially secure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I have I've had a wonderful time. Last, you know, the last fifteen years, being free of him and being free to speak and to do what I want to do. There's that. There's a Another thing I'd love to I'd love to share is the fact that we teach our kids by example. Mm. You know, if we you can stand stand there with a cigarette in your hand, telling your kids not to smoke, what they're going to do is smoke. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they, they you know monkey see monkey monkey do. Um, and basically, I I stopped and thought if one of my children came to me and said they'd just found out that their husband was a big mess and a con man had done this, would I say to them right? What I want you to do is lie down on the floor, cry yourself to sleep every night, <laughs> give up, you know, don't trust anyone ever again. Don't look after yourself. You know, this is not advice you'd give your child, was it? You know, so I thought I've got a golden opportunity right now to show my children how to deal with adversity. So I decided to actually do that. And I, I decided to live the advice I would have given them, which is pick yourself up, dust yourself down, get educated so it doesn't happen again. Um, and, you know, teach other people, help other people not actually have the same issues, you know, that, or to recover faster than you can. So it's, so that's what I did. It's interesting that you said then that <clears throat> you wanted to show that you could trust people again. But earlier you mentioned that you haven't had another relationship in the 15 years since. <laughs> That's not that's not because I don't trust people, though. That's, okay. that's because, you know, I was uh, – my kids were seven, four, and one. 
right. when this all kicked off um, or, or when my relationship with him ended. Um, and I did have a, a brief relationship with one of my brother's good friends. I'm glad. I'm so glad three, you put good months. friend at the end of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of concern. Then. <laughs> yes, I have a strange life. It's not that strange. Um, but yeah, so I had a, and that, that was, I mean, it was a lovely relationship. It was really nice, but it was, uh, he, he, he had issues. So um, that, that ended because of that, I mean, I I still adore him. Um, You know, I would still class him as a friend, Um, but you know, he, he, he wasn't in a place to have a good relationship. So uh, it wasn't, it's not that I've not, but I also didn't want to bring in another man to my children's lives and have it go horribly wrong. I thought it was really important for them to grow up knowing that it's okay to be happy and on your own. Mm. that you don't have to be in a relationship. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, the older I get, the more relieved I am. You know, <laughs> I don't have another person I have to wash their socks for, you know. I have a, I have a lovely dog who gives me all the infection I need, you know, and I've a, uh, yeah, it just, it, it's it's like, and I have a really fantastic relationship with my kids because it's, you know, that that's what I focused on. So it wasn't that I don't, you know, I didn't trust anyone or anything else. I just didn't. I had my kids, you know, I didn't really need to have a relationship. So at what yeah. point did you sit down with your children and, and explain the situation? I mean, you wrote oh, a book about it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, immediately. Uh, yeah. I mean, part of the, and I'm glad I did. Um, because <clears throat> they kind of grow up knowing about the situation. It was age appropriate. So I wasn't, I yeah. didn't tell them about the pedophile connection for, for a while. Mm. Um, but I did say, you know, he was married to someone else. And the way I said is, um, I explained to them what a psychopath is. And, um, the, I did it in a way saying, look, if your father was blind, you wouldn't blame yourself that he can't see you. Um, he doesn't have this empathic response. He doesn't have capacity to love. It's nothing to do with you, but he doesn't, he isn't able to love anyone. Um, I also said that, you know, if you, if you do something bad, I make you sit on your bed and think about it. You know, when an adult does something bad, they go to court and a judge tells them they have to go into prison and think about it. So I sort of told it in an age appropriate way, yeah. but it was great because my seven year old, when she went to school and it was out in all the press, I mean, there was no way I couldn't tell them. Yeah. Um, but when I, you know, sort of like she went to school and her lovely, you know, primary three or whatever it was, friends turned around and went, your daddy's in jail. And it was her stepdad anyway, but your daddy's in jail. And she actually turned around to them and went, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> What's your point? <laughs> because as far as she was concerned, yes, he was. And he was meant to be because he'd done something wrong. Yeah. So I, I gave her those tools. I gave her that power to be able to not allow people to use it against her. So, and it's actually so much liberation growing up, you know, sort of like with my children growing up, knowing everything, because there's nothing that's going to come up behind us and bite us. I have watched enough soaps to know that if I hadn't told them, one day they were going to come home saying, mom, I've met this lovely girl and she's, you know, she's wonderful and we're having a baby. And I, I need to turn out it was a half brother or, you know, half yeah. sister or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I should explain I have a son and a daughter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I knew that it's a sort of, it's a sort of secret you can't keep. It has to be something that, you know, um, was open. And it was, and the lovely thing was they were able to talk about it and they've been able to talk about it all their lives. So they're, they're usual that they're, they're 16, 19 and 22 now, Yeah, my children. And, um, you know, they don't have any issues with regard to their father. Um, they actually rather like the fact that, you know, mum's on radio and TV and, 
my my middle child, the one that has three siblings the same age as her from different women. Um, she she actually she went to school once on World Book Day, just dressed as herself with with my book, you know, because they dress up as a character. The, the teacher was like, "You're not dressed up," and she said, "Yes, I am." <laughs> I'm my favorite character from a book, you know. <laughs> Good on it. So. So yeah, it was sort of a, sort of a nice way of actually doing it. So I do, I thoroughly recommend being honest with your children, and and it's sort of being just straightforward. And the, the lovely thing is, they would come out of the school going, "Mum, Mum, I did this, I did that, I did the other today," and the other parents would say, "How do you do that?" Because it's I say, "Well, how was your day?" and they'll go, "Fine." Yeah. And it's like the truth, because they know I talk to them about stuff. They know that I would say, "Oh, this is what I did today," you know, and they know I talk to them about the big stuff as well. So. We've always talked. They always tell me what's going on in their lives. Um, and it's just a sort of nice, nice scenario. It gave me the opportunity, as I say, that golden opportunity to to actually break down that barrier with them and and let them know that I would talk to them. So, so yeah. what what's next, Mary? You've written The Bigamist. You've just published and or just had published The Psychopath. Psychopath, yeah. Um, what's next? I have just... Um, written the, the 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 final sentence on my novel that's scary that's, that's very very scary it's exciting but it's very scary did you have so, a glass yeah. of champagne to celebrate no <laughs> not yet anyway <laughs> i will when i get a publisher for it uh but uh yeah it's it's uh i mean that's my first foray into into writing a novel because the other two were memoirs obviously so so this is complete psychology fiction? in it uh it's it's based on an original premise of something that actually happened to me but it yeah the, the apart from the prologue everything else is is fiction okay uh i mean there are a bit there are characters in it that are real yeah um but uh it's it is about i mean there i mean there has to be there's a psychopath in it um <laughs> you know there's a narcissist in it there's there's various different aspects but it's actually trait. it's uh yeah it's it's what's called a time slip fantasy i okay. hate that category i don't i don't like it i don't but even it know what that same... fantasy, i don't even know what category that is i've never heard of it before I have well have you ever heard of outlander um, yes yes by Danica yeah. Baldwin or the time traveler's wife that's that those are classes heard of it, I've, never, fantasies. I've never read that one but the outland right. outlander series i've read yeah so it's the uh, it, it's it's two two women based uh one in one in the ninth century hang on don't say it you're not published yet <laughs> no 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 i'm just uh, I, i'm telling you what would be on the blurb basically. oh okay <laughs> so yeah there's it's two women one one in one in saxon times one in modern times but they're linked by regression hypnosis okay so it's uh and and the sort of worlds start to collide oh say so yeah so it's but it's it's about psychology and about survival and and you know what what makes one woman um survive uh, things that other women won't so it's a it's so there, there's a kind of theme still running in from the other books well i'm looking forward to uh, reading that one when that one comes out and is published and i'm also looking forward to when you get around to probably post pandemic um get out to australia and uh, do the stage show with john yeah, yeah that would be, be fantastic you'll need to um you need to reach out and let me know that you're in town when you are yeah absolutely will do Take yeah. care, Mary. Lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much for coming on. I'll link all the all the books and everything in the show notes, guys, so you can run out and grab them. And, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 